Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Good morning, good afternoon, whatever time of day it is. This is Football Social Daily. Hope you had a great weekend. A daily dose of Premier League football today, as it is every single day, because there is a new podcast every day covering off the latest news from the Premier League. It is thick and fast at the moment, so getting this show in your ears each morning is the perfect way to keep up to speed with it all. I'm Jim Salverson. Marley Anderson on the podcast today. Hello, Marley. Good morning. And we've got Niall McCorn as well. You right, Niall? Yeah, I'm okay, Jim. How are you? I'm all right. So I'm going to break the rules this morning, Niall, and I'm going to give you 30 seconds to talk about Pompey because I'm sure if you've listened to the podcast before, you know Niall is a massive Portsmouth fan. Kenny Jacket went over the weekend, and this morning, in terms of new bosses, I don't know if you've heard this, Harry Redknapp's thrown his hat into the ring to go back to Portsmouth. And I thought, that reminds me of the glory days of Portsmouth with Harry Redknapp in charge. So I thought I'd give you 30 seconds and 30 seconds only for your reaction to that. And your time starts now. <laughs> Ding dong, the jacket's gone. Um, <laughs> underwhelming performances over the last 10 games. We were top at Christmas 10 games ago. And 10 games later, we've slipped out of the playoffs. We lost to Salford City, a League Two team at Wembley on Saturday. Made us look like a conference side. We looked terrible. We were outplayed. We were embarrassed. Kenny Jackett's had four years to get us out of League One. He hasn't done it. Um, I don't want Harry Redknapp back because the last time he came into the club, he won us the FA Cup, but then nearly got us Bust. That's it. That's it. Time's up. Stop. That's your 45 seconds, your little Portsmouth hit for today's podcast. Oh, that's like an adrenaline rush. <laughs> <laughs> Back to Premier League action because there's two Champions League hopefuls that were in action last night. They went head to head in the Premier League. One looking at a place at the top table of European football for the very first time in their history. The other with their feet well under that table. But how did they compare on the pitch? We'll be checking in on last night's Premier League action between Manchester United and West Ham very shortly. There's also one more match to go from this week's Premier League fixtures, and that is Liverpool, who are desperately searching for a win that might reignite their season. They'll be travelling to Old Gold Country tonight to take on Wolves in Monday Night Football. Plus, as it is Monday, 
It's Heroes and Villains Day. Niall and Marley will be picking their saints and sinners from the weekend's action. If you want a more forensic look back at the whole of the weekend in terms of the Premier League, make sure you spin back to last night's podcast. Fergal, Anne and David wrapping up the Premier League's games. Every single game in full on yesterday's podcast. But... One game was a bit late in the day for that show. It happened after the podcast was recorded. That was Manchester United versus West Ham. It was never going to be a classic, and a classic it was not. 1-0 to Manchester United, and an incredibly defensive display, we'll say, from West Ham, particularly in the first half. Did David Moyes get it wrong, Marley? Because he went to frustrate, I think. He went with a very defensive system, five at the back, three defensive midfielders, was that the right call ultimately? Uh, ultimately, no, because you know you didn't you didn't get anything from the game, and you, you never really looked like getting anything. I don't think. Um, I was quite surprised when I seen the lineup. I thought, you know, he would um, he would start maybe sort of four two three one and have Rice and Suchek as holding, and then four Niles Rice, uh, four Niles Bowen, and. Um, I don't know some somebody else. It was, who plays left wing for you? I've completely forgot your team because Lingard was out. Well, Lingard, Lingard's been playing on the left. Ben Rama's been Rama, playing on the left. And so just somebody enough. else. Which, Stick anyone in there. Somebody Gary else. Gary Redknapp in there. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> else. Basically, what I was getting at is don't play Mark Noble. Um, and the team sheet came out, and I seen a 55 year old Mark Noble's lining up in midfield. I thought, I wonder how, how long he's going to last. Um, I think what was it like 52 minutes or something. Um, and then you know I one thought, minute per year of his life. Yeah, <laughs> he's only thirty-three. <laughs> yeah, but he runs like a fifty-five-year-old. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was a little bit negative when I looked down the team sheet. I thought um, I seen the back f- what I thought was four, and then I, I read on and I seen Johnson, who's a, a full back, and I thought, oh no, it's actually a back five, and that tells you everything about how um, Moyes approached it. I thought West Ham have been a bit braver in, in recent months. I think that's coincided with them being where they are in the league. So I thought they'd uh, they'd go a bit more positive and, and take the chances and, you know, have a go at the game a little bit more. But they, they didn't. They tended to sit back a little bit and try and, you know, hit on the break or hit from set pieces and use use the strength of Dawson, which is fine. But, um, you know, when he pops up and scores one in his own net, it's not exactly mm. what you had planned. So, um, yeah, possibly a little bit disappointed. I didn't expect them to necessarily definitely win the game. Um, but I, I did think they would have a bit more of a go. Um, and even without Lingard, I expected them to, expected them to be a little bit better. So, uh, yeah, it was probably a bit of a disappointing one for, for West Ham. I think, actually, it's quite difficult to know. From my point of view, it's difficult to say that it was the wrong approach because I saw the lineup and I went, that's probably not a million miles away from what I would have done if I was going to play against Manchester United with West Ham's current team. Fornells was out. He had a muscle strain and they clearly wanted to protect the back five and keep it to nil-nil and then maybe hit him on the break. And it was just, I think it was more to do with West Ham being really sloppy going forward than it was the tactics not working. Because if if they'd been more clinical or sharper going forward, it could have been a really different story. And you just can't, you just can't, you, you can't, quantify for an own goal can you it kind of it's always going to throw a cat amongst the pigeons I disagree I think it's 100% David Moyes fault and the reason I say that is because he always does this and Ty Marshall the senior football writer from the MEN was on the preview podcast at the weekend and he was saying he didn't fancy West Ham 
to do too well at Old Trafford because David Moyes always does this in the big games. 19 years he's been a Premier League manager. He's never won a game away from home against Manchester United, Liverpool, Chelsea or Arsenal. 19 years. Mm. And he's managed uh, West Ham and Everton, two clubs where you'd expect in nearly two decades they'd at least have won once away from home against United, Liverpool, Chelsea or Arsenal. Not the case. Never, ever won away from home as a Premier League manager against those clubs. Um, And obviously he was the manager of United for a while. So not to get any points at Liverpool, Chelsea or Arsenal when you're in charge of United is a bit of a blot on the record anyway. I mean, he does this. He goes into games defensive and I just didn't understand the approach from, from West Ham. Um, I can see what you're saying there about kind of trying to defend to a certain extent, but you're on the cusp of doing something special at West Ham, finishing in the Champions League places, finishing in the top four, the best season that the club's seen in the top flight since the mid-80s. And you're going against the top four rival. The best way for West Ham to gain ground is to beat someone above them. So why would you go into the game being Mm. defensive? If you lose, you lose to a top four rival, but at least you'd rather give it a go. Because that has been the trademark of West Ham this season is that they've they've found ways to win games and they've been attacking and they've been enjoyable to watch. However, I wasn't too impressed with West Ham yesterday. And I know that there are injuries and holes in the team and a tweaking system and all the rest of it. But, I mean, the West Ham that we've seen all season didn't show up yesterday. And I think that's solely on the manager's shoulders. Now, I don't think that it's something that um, you can be too annoyed about for too long because... The games, as you say at the top of the show, Jim, come thick and fast and West Ham have got another opportunity soon to to try and get back on the winning trail again. But David Moyes had an opportunity there to kind of prove a point, uh, break a horrible hoodoo of 19 years of the record I've just outlined, win against his former club, of which every time he goes there as a returning manager, he says, I wasn't given enough time at Old Trafford and he feels hard done by. He, He had a chance, really, with this West Ham side to kind of take it to Manchester United and he didn't. And I, I, I don't know why he didn't. I really don't know why. I don't know what his thinking was and I don't think that you can defend it because you're in fifth place going into the game, fifth or sixth place going into the game, a chance to beat a team in the top four and get yourself closer to the top four because Chelsea are only going to get stronger. And Manchester United Mm. and Leicester, you'd expect them to continue picking up points. Manchester City are going to win the league. So, I mean, it's a tight top four. If West Ham had any chance of getting in it, they needed to really show what they were about yesterday and just go for it. What, What have you got to lose? You've got nothing to lose. So I was a bit disappointed with West Ham yesterday, I'll be honest. But you say that, and I think I completely get the argument that West Ham should have gone in for that game in a more attacking way. And as football fans, you want to see your team attack it. And I'm kind of torn on this because there have been occasions this season where West Ham have played that system perfectly and we've got results when maybe we didn't particularly deserve those results we've played defensively we've hit teams on the break and it's worked really well but potentially my criticism of David Moyes goes along along the lines of what you're saying and I think we saw it with Liverpool a couple of weeks ago that it's almost like the opportunity is there and I'd say with Liverpool a couple of weeks ago when we played them they were in a, a form slump with Manchester United coming off the back of the AC Milan game there is an opportunity to attack those teams to go at those teams but it's almost like West Ham and David Moyes shows them too much respect as an opposition Yeah, I think you're right and I think he does this in all the big games I think he's still ingrained in his head that he's managing a, you know, a, a plucky mid-table side who'd do well to get a result at one of the big six clubs I just, I just don't understand mm. that mentality. You know, this is a man who's managed Manchester United, so he should know what it's like to manage a club with big expectations. Everton, 
you know, they're always an underdog going into the games against these bigger sides. But when he was the manager there, um, he had a similar approach. And against and now for West Ham, he's done the same thing. I just think he, he is. I think he's just kind of got this mental block, maybe of of okay, we'd be lucky to get a result against a football giant like Manchester United or Arsenal or Chelsea or Liverpool. And I don't get it. I really don't get it because this is the Premier League. We've seen ridiculous results over the last few years. Absolutely ridiculous results. We've seen teams like Norwich turn up to Man City and win. You know, we've seen bizarre mm. results like Sheffield United, um, who ended up beating Manchester United a, a few weeks back. And so you just think, this is the Premier League. Anything can happen. So why why be so limited in your thinking in terms of going forward? Maybe I'm being a little bit harsh on David Moyes, I don't know. But I just felt that they've done so well this season. Why kind of freeze when you face... A, a, a big club like Manchester United I just I just don't get the logic behind it maybe it's just a, a hallmark of David Moyes' management unfortunately for him he has got that unwanted record of nearly 20 years as a manager without an away victory against those teams um, and if he continues playing like that it's not going to change so that that's the thing for me that is frustrating um, to see because I think West Ham I think West Ham fans probably would have fancied themselves against Manchester United for the first time in a long, long, long time to get a result, particularly away at Old Trafford. Um, And if you go back to the FA Cup game earlier on this season, I think we saw the same thing. You know, he got flustered, a bit exasperated on the sidelines. David Moyes, he was subbing players on and then subbing them off again inside 20 minutes and stuff like that. So I'm I'm a bit disappointed with Moyes. Um, I'm not going to try and hide it. I just think I want to see West Ham, and I think the fans would have wanted to see West Ham. Just give it a go, because if they lose to Manchester United, it's okay. We've lost to United. You know, they're second in the table. But if you beat them, you're even more in with a shout of top four. So that that Mm. would be my gripe, that's all. I do wonder slightly where those personnel changes would come from in order to set up slightly differently and in a more offensive way because despite the fact Lanzini and Benrahma did change the game when they came on and it opened up the game, it was a different situation by then and neither of them are players that have done, for me, quite enough to convince me they should be in the starting eleven at the moment this season. In terms of Manchester United though, Marley, I mean, it wasn't exactly a classic performance from them either. They struggled to break down West Ham, but I just thought quite a lot of those Manchester United players looked really tired, especially Marcus Rashford. And we're 10 games left of the season, plus Europa League games as well. How do you think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer manages this squad for the end of the season? Two goalkeepers on the bench as well, which is never an indication you've got much strength and depth. So... Should he be resting players? Should he be kind of giving Rashford some time away from the game potentially in order to get him through to the end? Or is it a case of going, look, 10 games left, let's go for it. You can rest in eight weeks or whatever it is. Uh, I think I've, I've got a feeling that he's he's kind of just hoping there's enough in the tank to get them to the end of the season or at least to get them towards the end of the season where they can cement second place in the Premier League. Um because they do, they do look a bit tired. I mean, Bruno's impact has slightly um, dipped in the past sort of five or six weeks. Um, he's still playing well, don't get me wrong, but he's not quite as um, as effective as he once was. Um, and I think that comes through fatigue. I think their centre-forward issues probably come through a bit of um, fatigue as well and, and players not quite stepping up. I think Greenwood's having a bit of a quiet season, um, that, that mm. awkward second season type of thing. Um and Rashford as well. I think Rashford's carrying a shoulder injury, and he has done for apparently a long time. That he's, I think, 
I think Solskjaer might surgery. have said he needs surgery. Yeah, so yeah. that's probably affecting him. Um, he's trying to fix the country as well, the poor kid, because he's, <laughs> you know, he's got to run the country and then play football on a Saturday or Sunday. So uh, yeah. I'm amazed he's not doing the vaccine rollout, if I'm honest. I think he, <laughs> he should be a, he, he with his mask on at the NHS each week. He probably is. I'd, I wouldn't uh, wouldn't be surprised if I turned up and there was some uh, six-foot ripped athlete called Marcus uh, with a little mask on just going, yeah, time for your vaccine, Marley. I'll be like, all right, okay, you do you play football for my new on a Saturday? Yeah, 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 sometimes, yeah. <laughs> Um, he's better at sticking needles in the arm than he is at scoring headers from three yards out. Because that, <laughs> yeah. that, that miss was was a bad one from Rashford. Yeah, but you know, I don't know. With Man U, I think they are just um, they've hit a bit of a wall. But I think they've they've got enough of a lead in the sort of uh, around second place. I think the, the gap between them um, and fifth is enough. Um, and as well, I think everyone below Chelsea. Um, is you know scrambling over each other, picking up points, losing points as as quickly as they pick them up, kind of thing. So I think um, they should be all right, but it's obviously a little bit of a worry that they're um, the squad's not quite as deep to um, that they that they feel comfortable you know dropping. You know if if Man United lined up and they didn't have Bruno, uh, Rashford, and well, probably just them too. Bruno and Rashford, you would, and let's say Martial as well, for example, even though he's been rubbish this season, you would probably say, you know, how are they going to win a game um, without those two? Because you wouldn't look at Daniel James and go, easy, easy game winner. Um, we don't know enough about Ahmad Diallo yet. Um, and the kids as well, you know, Greenwood's had a quiet season, as I mentioned, there's surety, Ray on the bench and stuff like that. He's completely untested and probably not going to be in the squad when people get fit. Um, and then you've got you've got a little bit of a drop off from the first team to the to the uh, second team and i think that is where man united are probably needing some investment in the summer they need someone who's going to come in and uh, and be a reliable backup someone like like cavani has this season but obviously cavani's not been fit all year pretty much he's he's, he's in and out he plays one week and then he's out for two so it's kind of an issue for them but it's something something to address in the summer because when you're playing Probably close to sixty games a season, I would say. You're um, you're gonna need players at different times, and if it if it makes one of them unhappy at, at certain points, if they're not playing when everyone's fit, then I think you've just got to deal with that, and so be it. You know, you're not gonna play every game for Man United every week, um, because they've got such a big squad. They play in play in Europe and things like that. I think that's what it should be at a big club, um, and you should have the the ability to to drop a big player and have another very good player come mm. into the team. And I'm not quite sure Man United are quite there yet. I thought Mason Greenwood had a decent... I really like Mason Greenwood. I think he's got the potential to be one of the best in the world. And I thought he had a decent game last night. He kind of looked dangerous. He looked sparky as well. Him and, for me, Luke Shaw, I think, has been a revelation the last few weeks. I thought he had an absolutely great game for Manchester United last night, both defensively and going forward as well. Do you think either of those, or maybe both of them, Niall, will be considering themselves contenders for Gareth Southgate's Euros squad. I mean, they said in commentary that Luke Shaw was the best left-back in the division at the moment. I think That's because that Gary be Neville was on the commentary. Yeah, 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 that, yeah, that could be something to do with it. Do you think either of those will be off to the Euros, though? Um, it's a hard one. I think that we'll only see Luke Shaw if either of them go. It will only be him. I think Gareth Southgate's preferred fullback on the left side is Ben Chilwell or... Bukayo Saka, I think he prefers those two. You know, he'll still be the kind of first choice. But there's no doubt, I think for me and a lot of Manchester United fans, that Luke Shaw has been their player of the season. 
Um, the way he's kind of, I don't know, just taken a step up this season. I don't know what it is. I don't know whether it's the coaching from Solskjaer, whether he's just kind of settled down a little bit more. Um, he's kind of relaxed a bit more, been a bit more comfortable. Under Mourinho, of course, there are all these issues with, with his weight and whether he was able to get fit and stuff like that. I think that there are a few comments thrown back and forth uh, between Mourinho and the press and stuff like that. But um, this season, for whatever reason, Luke Shaw's really stepped up. Um, and I, I guess maybe, I think, you could put it down to the introduction of Alex Tellez into the squad obviously signed um, from Portugal as a left back to deliver balls into the box and maybe it's that healthy competition because before it was only really I guess Brandon Williams um, the young 20 year old who Luke Shaw had to compete with and I guess the competition has made Mm. um, Luke Shaw a better player this season I mean I think Tellez is a good player I think he's got an excellent delivery but Luke Shaw's keeping him out of the side and Luke Shaw's added that attacking aspect to his game this season with assists and crosses into the box and um, I think he's been really impressive so I think yeah Gareth Southgate no doubt will be looking at him as a possible inclusion obviously he's not in the current England crop for the internationals coming up in a couple of weeks time at the end of the month Uh, as for Mason Greenwood really promising talent we say this every time we talk about him I'm in agreement with you there Jim I thought he was excellent yesterday I think he hit the post at one point a couple of shots that were really well saved by Fabianski as well Mm. I think a lot of the exciting stuff that Manchester United did yesterday against West Ham came through Mason Greenwood however one Premier League goal this season is not the sort of numbers he would have expected and he's still a young kid so I don't want to put too much pressure on him because he kind of exploded onto the scene and we've seen how good he can be right through from academy level um, into the first team he integrated into senior football almost immediately with goals in the Europa League and you know he has scored Premier League goals and had a great season last season but one Premier League goal this season hasn't really clicked for him up front for Manchester United he has played through the middle a couple of times Maybe he's just not quite physical enough to play that role yet. We've also seen him deployed out on the flanks as well from Solskjaer in that 4-2-3-1. He's played in kind of all of the four forward roles for Manchester United at some point this season. So I don't think we'll see Mason Greenwood. There's always that question mark as well over his discipline with what happened with Phil Foden in Iceland. But then again, I think that's water under the bridge. He's apologised. That moment's come and gone. Interestingly enough, Foden is in the squad and Greenwood isn't. I just think that's purely down to the form that he's shown for Manchester United this season. I think he'll be in England regular for years to come. As for the Euros and the upcoming internationals, probably a bit too soon for Greenwood. What about West Ham's Champions League hopes, Marley? I mean, it was an outside bet anyway. Does this put a nail in that coffin or have they still got a chance of potentially going to the Champions League next season and scooping that 120 odd million quid you get for doing so uh they're definitely not out of it by by any means i think um if you you know i mentioned before about everyone from fourth down everyone just below fourth is scrapping and fighting over it you know crambling uh or climbing well i can't say that word clambering i think it is clambering Clambering (laughs) over each other yeah um (laughs) so yeah i think chelsea will will run away uh with with fourth um and there'll be a bit of a gap between fourth and fifth um i think it's three points now um, and then below West Ham, you've got Everton. Um, they're up and down. Spurs, again, sit the same. Liverpool are in horrific form. If they can pick it back up, they could they could nick fifth easily, but I'm not sure they will. And then Villa and Arsenal, probably the gap's a little bit too big um, with with the way they're playing as well. It's inconsistent from, from everyone, pretty much. Um, so, yeah, West Ham, certainly not out of it. I think fifth will be enough for Champions League, I would say, because... Um, one of the top four will probably win the the FA Cup, so that's that'll uh, open up that fifth spot to the Champions League. Um, 
rooted, rooted. Does it not go to the runners up of the FA Cup or is that Europa League? I'm get, I always get no, confused. It, goes, with this. it just passes down the league. Um so usually oh, okay. seventh is enough for, for Europe. Um because the um uh it passes down for for the league from, from top six to top seven, so I mean, as it stands, I mean, Spurs would be in Europe and Liverpool wouldn't, which is crazy. Um, but yeah, West Ham, definitely not out of it. I mean, uh, I think they've got quite a tough run coming up West Ham, haven't they? Um, but still... So it's Arsenal, Wolves, Leicester City, Burnley, Everton. It's, it's mixed. I mean, West Ham have proved they can beat anyone on their day, haven't they? They just... Don't. <laughs> Arsenal, Wolves, Leicester, Newcastle, Chelsea, Burnley, Everton is the next like six or seven. There you go. Well, it's, that's, that's what it is. It's in it's in your hands, and with ten games to go, you can't ask for anything else. I don't think. No, very much so. As you mentioned, Liverpool in horrific form at the moment. We'll be talking about their game against Wolverhampton Wanderers next. They're off to the Midlands, and if you want to get the latest news on your team, head to the website sports-social.co.uk for all your latest news plus. A way to find your new favourite podcasts as well with the brand new Sport Social Podcast Network. You can find podcasts on any sport and any team. Just go to the website, you'll see the click-throughs there. Go and check it out. Right, Liverpool versus Wolves next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Before we get stuck into Wolverhampton Wanderers versus Liverpool, we need to say a big hello to Harriet. Hello, Harriet, who left us a review on Apple Podcasts. A five-star review said, love this podcast so much. Brightens my day every day. Never fails to make me smile. So I don't know what team she's supporting. Clearly not a Newcastle fan. If It never makes her, fails to make her smile listening to the podcast. But thank you for listening. Thanks for the review as well. If you want to leave a review on Apple or however it is you listen to your podcasts on Spotify or whatever, leave us a comment. Let us know what you think of the show. We'll give you a shout out on a future episode. So let's get stuck into Wolverhampton Wanderers versus Liverpool. Liverpool have won once in five games in the Premier League. That win was against Sheffield United. Are they in crisis yet, Niall? Oh, I guess you'd have to say yes. Um, with the way that things have gone for them this season, after winning the league last year for the first time in 30 years and winning it by, what, 18 points, something like that. Might have even been more, I can't remember, but they were comfortably the best team in England last season. And for them to drop off as much as they have dropped off has been a real shock. And, you know, it's not a disgrace for them to have dropped their levels a little bit because if you think back to the season before last where they were pipped to the title by Manchester City by just a single point. Um, and they went the distance in the Champions League the season before that too. So, you know, they've been playing at a high intensity now for at least three seasons. Now, they haven't got three Premier League titles to show for that. They've only got one Premier League title and a Champions League, to be fair to them. Um, but to do it for three, four, and, and this is would be the fourth season in a row and to keep up that intensity, it's nearly impossible to do that. And... You know, I think that it would have been natural to expect Liverpool to drop off a little bit this season. However, perhaps not drop off as much as they have done this campaign. I mean, the fact that they, as you say, Jim, um, haven't won for a while. And the last time they did win was against Sheffield United, who was stone dead bottom of the Premier League table. Um, They've lost six in a row at Anfield, which is the worst home run in league uh, games in their history. Um, 
After Wolves, they've got Arsenal, then Aston Villa, two teams uh, around them in the table. It's not going to get any easier. Then it's Leeds, Newcastle and Manchester United for them as well. So the next six games are looking tough. Uh, also, they've got um, games uh, in the Champions League as well to, to think about when that draw gets made and they find out who they get to play in the quarterfinals of the competition. I think that was the saving grace for Liverpool the other week was the fact that they got to play against RB Leipzig and almost focus on a different competition. And it's so weird because everyone would talk about Liverpool's form going into the game against RB Leipzig and everyone was saying how they were playing terribly. But for some reason, that Premier League stigma was put on the shelf and... It wasn't a free hit against RB Leipzig, but I guess the mentality changes slightly. The focus is different and, you know, it's kind of like leaving one place and going to another and you kind of leave the the kind of the mental element of it behind, if you get what I'm trying to say. So, yeah, I mean, I guess it is a crisis for Liverpool. I mean, there are reasons behind that. As I say, the intensity for three or four seasons, it's literally impossible to be able to keep that up for, for as long as they have kept it up and... You know, especially the way that Jurgen Klopp plays and asks his player to play and the training sessions are intense by all accounts as well. So, I mean, that's one reason. The injuries are another reason, which I'm sure we'll come on to. We seem to talk about it every time that Liverpool play. Um, and, you know, that there's always going to be people that say, well, you know, this is why, that is why. I think it's an amalgamation of many factors. Um, the fact that we're having a strange season behind closed doors. We know that the lack of fans in stadiums. It's been a year now, so I think this... Um, excuses starting to wane but some fans uh, some supporters miss their home crowd more than others it's and I just think that's natural it's interesting you say that there was a psychological change from playing Premier League to Champions League because I do wonder how much of the issues that Liverpool face at the moment are psychological and you look at their home form at the moment and they have been absolutely terrible at home away they're slightly better but there's no logical reason for that to be the case, because I don't buy the lack of a crowd thing. And I don't understand why I, I kind of get that it might level the playing field a little bit, but it doesn't give you a reason why your home form should be so terrible other than psychological. My thoughts behind this are the fact that they knew they weren't going to win the league pretty much two or three months ago. They now know they're not going to finish top four. And the only things they had going for them was that was that Anfield unbeaten record, mm. which they had in the Premier League for three and a half years, nearly four years. They were unbeaten at home in the Premier League, which is a great record. Only Chelsea had a better record under Mourinho in his first tenure and then after that. So, you know, it's a remarkable record that they had. And then they got beaten by Burnley, didn't they? And they were always looking a little bit fragile and shaky. But since they got beaten by Burnley, they haven't won a league game at home. The wheels have completely fallen off. And if you talk about a season in terms of what Liverpool have been playing for, in seasons gone by, they've been playing for top four, the league title, the Champions League, and they've kind of gone sort of weaker in the cups, haven't they? Mm. So those three fronts they've been fighting on, European, domestic, and of course, top four. This season, they knew they're not going to win the league. I think that was pretty evident from early on when they got smashed by Aston Villa. Um, you know, and it did take a little bit of time for that to happen. But obviously the Everton game where Van Dijk got injured, I think that was another chink in the armour. And I think that slowly their confidence has been chipped away at. And, you know, now they know they're not going to finish in the top four. And then once that home record got taken away from them, it almost feels like they've got nothing to play for now this season. I think they've kind of given up a little bit. The only thing they have got to fight for is the Champions League. And I guess that's why 
we're seeing them perform better in the Champions League because they know they're still capable in that competition. Mm. And if they get a decent draw in the quarterfinals, they're very, very much in contention with going to a semi-final and a final. They've got a chance of winning it, Liverpool. Being eighth in the Premier League, one win in the last five games, that coming against Sheffield United, and they have a chance of winning the Champions League. It's quite crazy, really, when you think about it. So I guess that's the kind of element that I was referring to, is that in Europe, they've still got that hope to cling on to. They've still got that belief. If you look at the Premier League table now, it looks bleak for them. In terms of form, in terms of where they are, 43 points. You know, if Aston Villa win their game in hand, they'll go above them. Liverpool will be ninth. And we've spoken about how indifferent Arsenal's season's been. They're 10th. There's only two points difference between Liverpool and Arsenal. It's a stinking run that Liverpool are on. So they're not going to finish in the top four. They're obviously not going to win the league. The only thing, they've lost their home record. The only thing they're fighting for still is the Champions League. And I guess that is the only thing they've got to look forward to this season. And I guess that is why the mentality was slightly different. That's my reasoning anyway. Mm. I could be completely wide of the mark, but that's just how I see it. Ozan Kabak and Nat Phillips will both be at centre-back again today, Marley, which is, they've had a lot of the flack. The defence at Liverpool have had a lot of the blame for their poor form, when in reality they haven't really been doing much at any point where on the pitch. But will Wolves fancy their chances against that centre-back pairing and a lack of Henderson as well? Even with the goal-scoring issues that Wolves have, do you think they'll fancy maybe a goal or two tonight? Um, I think they've got two to be honest I think you you know most of the time Liverpool are going to make it hard for you and don't get me wrong it will be a tough game tonight um, for whoever plays but I think with with Wolves they need somebody who's going to rough them up a bit and someone who's going to put the body about and I think Willian Jose is capable of that we've just not quite seen it um, fully yet, I don't think he's he's doing all right. He's he's not quite. He's not. I don't think he's scored a goal yet for them in the Premier League. But still, he's he's more of a, a Jimenez than Fabio Silva is, for example. Um, so I think you know Phillips is still young and untested, and William Jose. I think he's like twenty nine. He's been around a little while. Um, maybe he can can rough him up a bit, pull him out of position, and bring you know the the slightly more attacking uh, flair type of players in like Neto. Um, and Traore as well and, and see what they can do but you know if you were ever going to say here's a time to beat Liverpool it'd be it'd be around now because you know they've not got their best centre-backs they've not got the three best centre-backs at the club Kabak is again I think he's only 20 or something like that I keep forgetting that um, you know he's he's only young he's going to make mistakes he's still sort of adjusting to a new league type of thing he's been at a club that's lost you know was winless in 30 games uh, at one point, so he's not exactly got the most. Um, he's not exactly the most confident of players, um, and he's playing for his future as well, really, because he's on a six-month loan. His parent club are getting relegated, um, and he's trying to play for his future. So it's um, it's something where you would. It's almost like a perfect storm if you're ever going to beat Liverpool. Um, I'm not. I don't know if they actually will, because I've not been impressed by Wolves lately, even though the results have picked no. up a little bit. Um, I think they've only lost one of the last five games, Wolves. It seems like they're they're they not stopped as... conceding sloppy goals, haven't they? That's they 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 still aren't offering very much going forward, but they've stopped those mistakes at the back, which seems to be costing them early on in the season. Yeah, I think you know the the back, the defense hasn't hasn't has never been the issue, has it, Wolves? Um, sort of over the years, but then this month. Uh, sorry, this season they they had a little a little collapse, like you said, and then they've they've shored that back up a bit with you know experienced players like Cody and you know Den Donk has come back into the back 
back three. They've had injuries to Willie Bolly as well, who's a pretty big player for them. Um, but yeah, I think Wolves. You know, you've got to fancy it. You know, you're 13th. You're in that mid-table purgatory type of thing where no one goes anywhere quick. <laughs> Um, and yeah, you know, it's one of the. I hate when teams down tools with 10 games to go because they know they're safe. You know, one more win for Wolves and they're safe. Um, definitely, like they're, they're safe now. They're not going to get dragged into it, I don't think. Yeah. But, you know, mathematically, if you win one more mm. game, really, you, you're probably going to stay up. So that's fine. And they should be targeting every game, going for it and seeing what they could do because. You know, I, I hate it when teams just say, "Ah, oh, well, you know, we're never going to win this game. Mm. We don't need to win this game. We'll win the one next week and or wait for the game against, you know, Newcastle or Sheffield United or someone that you can d- almost definitely beat." So, I want to see them uh, go for it and, and try and take it to Liverpool and extend the misery to uh, the, to Liverpool. <laughs> Not that I'm massively against Liverpool, but you know, you've got to do that as a as a mid-table team if you're going to take that next step. It's funny you say actually, Marley, about. Um, Wolves not getting dragged into it because I think they've still got a huge part to play in the relegation scrap because after Liverpool they've got West Ham but then their games after that they've got a string of games listen to this against Fulham Sheffield United Burnley West Brom and Brighton so like Come those on, five games in a row through April and into early May mm. that could really like change the picture of the relegation battle down the bottom um, I think that's going to be like a kind of a low-key one to keep an eye on Wolves and how they get on against those teams. I mean, against Sheffield United and and probably West Brom, it won't matter too much. But Fulham and Burnley and Brighton, they've all got like in kind of two weeks apart from each other. So, yeah, that's going to be really interesting to see. Hopefully Jimenez can come back and start punishing them because we, (laughs) as Newcastle fans, we'll be walking around Newcastle with black and white shirts with Jimenez written on the back. (laughs) Are you surprised that neither of these managers are under pressure? Nile, because as I mean, Wolves are on 35 points. They're fundamentally safe. They're probably not going to get sucked into that relegation battle. A couple more wins and they're well out of it. Liverpool, I mean, we know what Jurgen Klopp's done in the past, but they are going for a torrid time at the moment. And if that form continues, it doesn't. It doesn't feel that if neither of them win again between now and the end of the season, it doesn't feel like either Nuno Espirito Santo or Jurgen Klopp will be under pressure. No, I agree. And and to be honest, I'm not surprised that they're not under pressure. I mean, I can't see why they would be. I mean, Liverpool under Jurgen Klopp have gone from where they are now, eighth and not very good, to um, obviously he took over from Brendan Rodgers. Let's, let's be fair to Brendan Rodgers. He did nearly win Liverpool a title. But he's taken Liverpool to the next level. He's made them back into a European heavyweight club again, uh, Jurgen Klopp. Why should he, after one sort of wretched run and bad second half to a season of which it is extraordinary circumstances and the veil of COVID-19 and the pandemic will always be used as kind of a a, a, a propping up of any argument and you know I don't think that Jurgen Klopp should be under any pressure I think he will feel the pressure understandably so you can't manage a club like Liverpool mm. and have your worst home run in history but then again Jurgen Klopp won Liverpool the title for the first time in 30 years and he won them a Champions League so, you know, come on, give the guy a bit of time to get himself out of a hole. This is the worst slump we've seen Liverpool in. He's been there for five years. They've never been this bad. So at least give him a chance to put things right. As for Nuno Espirito, Santo and Wolves, I think that they've kind of not made a rod for their own back, but they've raised the bar for themselves by finishing seventh twice in a row. And so to finish 13th, people are saying, oh, Wolves are doing crap this year. But let's not forget... They're still just Wolverhampton Wanderers. I know they're well-backed and they've got some very good players and they probably should be knocking around in the top 10 at the very least. But, as I said, this is their third season back in the top flight. The first two seasons, their first season back, they finished seventh. 
that's just unbelievable. And if you think about how we were waxing lyrical about mm. Sheffield United last season and they finished ninth and we were saying about how great a job Chris Wilder was doing. Um, you know, obviously he's left the club now, but Wolves the same. To finish seventh back-to-back is is remarkable. So you've got to give Nuno Espirito Santo a little bit of slack here. Um, I think it's been a difficult season for everyone. I'm more surprised how the likes of Ralph Hasenhurtl and Mikel Arteta at Southampton and Arsenal respectively aren't under pressure. I find that more surprising, particularly Arteta. But then again, you can say he's just won a North London derby for them. He's also won them an FA Cup in the short time he's been at the club. So I guess that's kind of given him a little bit mm. of grace. As for Haas and Hurtle, I don't know. You know, they're in a terrible run of form, equally as bad as Liverpool's. I think they're the two worst formed teams um, in the country, Okay, along with Sheffield United as well. But still, you know, you have to suggest that a manager who's been beaten 9-0 twice should come under a little bit of pressure. But he seems to be okay. Um, you know, Steve Bruce, he's not under pressure. He seems seemingly got, I mean, the fact that Kenny Jackett's been sacked before Steve Bruce is just remarkable to me. <laughs> you know, two of the men with the safest jobs in football. Um, so yeah, I mean, we can talk about Wolves and Liverpool and their managers being under pressure, but I think there are probably other teams in the league where you'd level that at more so than those two clubs. Don't expect a classic tonight. Wolves have only scored 28 goals this season. That's one a game on average. And as for Liverpool, well, they've only scored two of their last 67 shots on goal. And only West Brom have scored less goals since the start of February. So I'm not sure it's going to be a classic. We'll be back in a minute on Football Social Daily. We're talking heroes and villains from the weekend. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. To hear the latest Premier League news for your team, just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Wrapping up the podcast with some heroes and villains, saints and sinners from the weekends. Nominations from all three of us. You can go first, Marley. Give us your hero and your villain. Um, I'm going to start with my villain, um, just because I think it's it's a clearer shout. Um, and you could probably you could almost give him hero, but because of what he did, um, maybe not. Um, so I'm going to go for Eric Lamella as my, my villain. Uh, and it's not so much that he got sent off um, and kind of you know blew his team's chances of, of going on and possibly winning the North London derby. Um, it's more because of the the goal he scored, the Rabona. Fantastic goal. Don't get me wrong. Absolutely brilliant goal. But I don't get why he did it. I've got no idea why he... It didn't need it, did it? It well, didn't need to be a Rabona to get that goal. Well, this is this is my point. So this is the my, one of my biggest pet peeves in football is footballers who cannot use both feet. And I hate to sound like you know your dad watching football who goes, "Oh, why are they getting paid 120 grand a week and they can't use both feet?" But the, the, if anyone that says that has a point, because Eric Lamella, I think I seen a stat earlier in the week, um, before the North London derby, and it said that he hasn't completed a pass. In, with his right foot in over a thousand minutes of Premier League football this season, like all the minutes he's played practically, he's never passed the ball with his right foot, even five yards. He's, everything's wow. left foot. Controls it with his left foot, dribbles it with his left foot, has to cross it on his left foot, likes to play on the right, so you know you always know what he's going to try and do. Um, and there has been players over the years that have been notoriously one-footed, you think of... Uh, Ian Robin making a career of cutting inside onto his left foot and scoring or crossing or whatever or passing. Um, Angel Di Maria is another one, um, but they're not as they're more effective than Lamella. Basically, they're, they're better players, um, and I think Lamella is 
you know, he tries these Rabonas and I think he scored twice now for, for Spurs. He scored a mint goal in the Europa League for them a few years ago with one from about 20, 22 yards, something like that. But still, you shouldn't, you shouldn't need to do that because, you know, how I don't understand how you can be a professional and, you know, play football six days, seven days a week, basically, and not be able to use half of your legs. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's crazy. It's crazy that he has to try these Rabonas and find it's worked. Brilliant. Great goal. It'll probably go down in, you know, as one of the great North London derby goals, blah, 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 whatever. Uh, but he does it all the time. He has no right foot. He's the most one-footed player in the league. Um, and I think he would be a much better player if he just put in two hours a day just on his right foot, just trying to use it, see what happens. Sure, it becomes easier to play against. If you know, if as a defender, you know a player, we've all done it in five-a-side, and I know it's slightly different in the Premier League, but when you know a player only has one foot, it becomes much easier to move that player out of the game, doesn't it? Yeah, you still don't expect them to pull out a Rabona, though. No. but how I mean, even at five-a-side. I know he's done it before. He's scored a Rabona, hasn't he? Um, Lamella. It's not his first one, which is pretty remarkable in itself. But you can't do that every week. You can't do it. It's, that's that's a one in, I don't know, one in 50 chance of that coming off. Yeah. Well, he gave all the Spurs fans a Rabona, didn't he, by scoring it? So. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> right. Who's your hero, Molly? Um, do you know what? I, there wasn't an obvious one for me, I don't think, this week. Um, I'd maybe go for probably Ihe Nacho to be honest. Um, you know mm. he's had an in and out run um of of Leicester at Leicester in sort of recent years, and you remember the hype about him when he um when he burst onto the scene at Man City a few years ago. Maybe I think it was roughly the same time as Rashford. I think because everyone was talking about who's better, Rashford or Ihe Nacho, and then that. You know that aged like a fart in a lift. That that argument because they went different ways in their careers. Um, but yeah, I think he's um, he's starting to come into it now. I mean, he's he scored I think five in his last three now for Leicester. Um, and at the weekend, you know, bagged his his first hat trick uh, as well in in, uh, in in the Premier League in his career uh, type of thing. So um, he took his goals really well. I think he. he turned in a, a great performance against a poor team which is what you should do as a striker you, sh- you should bully bully the poorer teams and he, he, he definitely did that um, and also I liked his, uh, his his thing after the the game I think he said it was for uh, it was for his mother um, on Mother's Day um, dedicating his goals to his mother and he said it's also for all uh, mothers around the around the world, which is great because I didn't get my mum anything, so I rang her up and said, "Did you see much of the day, mum? Because <laughs> Kalechi Hinacho just dedicated um, a Premier League hat trick to you because I'm never going to score one, mum. I'm 29 now. <laughs> I think my time's passed. But there's a Nigerian lad on the telly, and he's just dedicated a hat trick to you. So there you go. Happy Mother's Day. Oh no. Now I feel like I wasted 30 quid on ah, flowers. So you're, you're a mug, Damn mate. You're a mug. 30 quid? <laughs> Deli- flower deliveries. I mean, you'd think they didn't grow on trees. <laughs> Ridiculous cost. Do you know how, um, how much they make over a weekend? On Mother's Day weekend is insane. Madness, yeah, flower shops. We're in the wrong business, lads. All driving around in Porsches, florists. Uh, <laughs> right, well, I'm going to do my villain off the back of that, because it's the same game. My villain uh, from the back of Liver- uh, Leicester City 5, Sheffield United nil is Chris Wilder. Because I mean, villain. To, yeah, I'm going Chris Wilder villain. I'm taking an alternative view on this because you can't help look at that game and go Sheffield United need 
Chris Wilder. They needed Chris Wilder. And I think there's an element He got here. sacked. How can he be the villain? This well, is, by I... the way, this is my villain as well. So I guess we can kind of do this together. Okay. Um, right. But my, well, my villain's Prince Abdullah, the owner of Sheffield United, for sacking Wilder. <laughs> and then they go to their heaviest defeat for 21 years in league football to lose but 5 I think nil. there's an element of Chris Wilder's stubbornness getting in the way of him continuing <laughs> doing the great job he did at Sheffield United. And I, I'm being a little bit, I'm playing devil's advocate a little bit here. But I kind of agree with the club in wanting to get a director of football in. I can see how that would have helped. And I don't understand why Chris Wilder had an objection to that because you look at his dealings in the transfer market, particularly this season with the leaks of Rian Brewster and Aaron Ramsdale. You can't spend that much money from someone else's pocket and expect, do it badly and expect to be allowed to continue time and time again. And do you Mm. know what? If someone came up to me tomorrow and said, look, Jim, we're going to get you in a a director of sports social He's going to do the bits of the job that you're not very good at. You're going to get paid the same, but your workload's going to be a little bit less. I'm fine with that. If the bosses are listening, I am 100% okay with a director of sports social coming in. But, but So I don't really understand why he's objected to it. I think he kind of, I mean, it was, it, was, it, was a, it was a relationship that was working. We know Chris Wilder did brilliant things at Sheffield United, and I'm a little bit disappointed that he took the decision. I get why, but I'm disappointed he took the decision to step away. Yeah, I mean, I see what you're saying, but let's just say this director of sports social came in and he changes the layout of the studio. He changes the systems that we use. He changes the way we edit the podcast. <laughs> That's a very what niche it is. analogy. <laughs> it is a very niche analogy, but you started it, so I'm going to finish it. So, <laughs> I mean, it's similar to that, really. I mean, I, I agree with you that, you know, you look at the money that Sheffield United have spent. And if it is Chris Wilder's, you know, decisions to sign Brewster, who has been invisible to sign Ramsdale who I think is probably the weakest Premier League goalkeeper in terms of first choices out there um, disappointingly for him um, and Ollie McBurney I think cost 20 million quid yeah. the only one that's looked decent is uh, Sander Berger in terms of the Premier League signings they've made but he's been injured all season pretty much so you know there's not really been you know too many great signings for Sheffield United to shout about in the Championship some of his signings were excellent you think of the likes of Ender Stevens and some of the other players that they've still got at the club who have performed right through the divisions. So you can't really knock him for that. But certainly in terms of his recruitment for players in the Premier League since he was the manager of Sheffield United when they went up, I do think that there is definitely a point to be made. Yeah, but I think it's no coincidence that, you know, it was a messy breakup. The LMA were involved, the League Managers Association, in terms of a severance package to be given to Chris Wilder. It all ended so rather messily in terms of, you know, what he's achieved for that club and what the club means to him and what he means to the fans. For it to end in the way it did um, was very, very disappointing. It just feels like this is something that's been rumbling on in the background for a while and maybe Wilder's been resigned to his fate for a while, but he's been kind of clinging on because he feels that he deserves a little bit more respect in the way things were handled. Mm. But I don't think it's a coincidence that Chris Wilder gets sacked and Sheffield United roll over and get beaten 5-0. No. Um, you know, especially considering what we've said all season about them down at the bottom of the league, bottom of the table. They've not been beat that handily by anyone really this season. Um, there's very few examples that I can think of off the top of my head. You know, the final scores either finish 1-0 or 2-0 or something like that. It's not been a complete procession like it was for Leicester uh, at the weekend. So, you know, I think that endeavour and that energy that we said the players were showing but they didn't have the quality, that just wasn't there against Leicester at the weekend. And I don't think that it's a coincidence that it's come when the manager's been dismissed. No, I think there was some interesting comments after the match as well from 
the players and from the coaching staff as to the importance Chris Wilder had talked about standards slipping and whether they were talking about in the long term recently or whether they were talking about since Chris Wilder's departure, which it sounds like the seeds were sown a couple of weeks back. So clearly he will be missed and Sheffield United need to act quickly to get someone in there, a strong manager to kind of shape that club going forward. Um, hero, do you want to go do your hero first, Nile, or should I do mine? Mine's a really quick one. Should I do mine, actually? Because my hero is Pele. And Pele doesn't get much of a mention on Football Social Daily. But, I mean, he's he got another 300 goals against yeah. his dog in his uh, garden, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's congratulated Ronaldo because you might have seen Ronaldo scored a hat trick at the weekend for the Juventus. And that took his official tally of goals up to 770. Pele's official tally of goals, and obviously, as you say, it kind of creeps up. Every couple of weeks by a couple couple more, his unofficial tally, but his official tally is 767. So Ronaldo now has scored more goals than Pele in official matches. And it's just an excuse to crowbar Ronaldo into the conversation, really, because for a long time I've been kind of... I've been on the fence with the Messi-Ronaldo debate, potentially slightly more on Team Messi. But recently, I think I've just seen Ronaldo as this absolute machine. And when you consider he's three years older than Lionel Messi, whose star seems to be waning a little bit recently, and Ronaldo's just continuing to be a powerhouse in world football. And now he's got the 770 goals, he's gone above Pele. I think I might be leaning towards Team CR7 a little bit as the great of the two greats, the greater of the two greats. So Pele, anyway, rather crowbarred in, is my hero for this weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we'll go from talking about Pele and Cristiano Ronaldo to my hero, who is Dwight McNeil from Burnley. (laughs) He's he's the third of the trio, isn't he? He's the one that doesn't get mentioned as much. It goes Ronaldo, (laughs) Messi... Kids in, kids in the playground in 15 years' time will be like, Messi, Ronaldo or McNeil? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, off the basis of one weekend of uh, heroes and villains from the Sports Social podcast, but still. Um, I thought Dwight McNeil was really good for Burnley at the weekend. A much-needed win for them. They were only six points above the relegation zone um, when the weekend's action kicked off and talk about them slipping into it um, was certainly on the cards, particularly with Brighton as well, winning their game against Southampton. So it's all looking pretty interesting down at the bottom as Marley will know I think Newcastle got a draw didn't they on Friday night so um, a a great result for them in terms of the fact it was a 90th minute equaliser for Newcastle so an important victory for Burnley Um, I guess you could kind of even put Everton in the villain bracket because we've said this time and time again that at home at Goodison Park against some of the lesser sides in the division they can't get the job done they lost to uh, Newcastle they lost to Fulham at Goodison and now they lost 2-1 to Burnley the reason they lost 2-1 to Burnley was because Dwight McNeil um, played very very well scored a great goal um, and you know Sean Dyche mm. is, was kind of talking him up saying that he thinks that McNeil will actually play for you know one of the bigger clubs in the Premier League he was obviously formerly of Manchester United uh, and I think last season he made the most appearances for a player under the age of 22 in a Premier League season since uh, Michael Owen did so um, you know he, he's definitely someone who is one to watch whether he returns to a club like Manchester United remains to be seen he's playing for an unfashionable club in Burnley Burnley's play isn't really geared towards wingers and the fact he still managed to kind of shine in that side shows how good a player he is and, and could be so he's still just 21 years of age 
especially like I say with the Burnley style of play they're less likely to have the ball than their opponents probably more than half of the time in their Premier League games their opponents are expected to have more of the ball so for him to still be able to have an impact in the games where Burnley can be more effective I think is testament to him so again another exciting English youngster of which there are plenty at the moment so um, so I think uh, just for his performance at the weekend and kind of proving that he is capable of, uh, of excellent play in the Premier League um, it would be Dwight McNeil. Another close contender was Sergio Aguero for finally scoring for the first time in over a year of Premier League football. I couldn't believe that. It's like 400 days or something yeah. like that since yeah. he scored. I had no yeah. idea it had been that long. Yeah, so February was the last time. February 2020 was the last time he scored a Premier League goal. Obviously, there was a three-month suspension. So we're talking a calendar year. You think about a player as good as Aguero and you think, how has he gone that long without scoring a goal? Um, so yeah, I was glad to see him kind of back on the score sheet and maybe that's the kind of the confidence boost that he and City need heading into the Champions League because they're going to win the Premier League. I don't think there's any question about that. Can they do it in the in the Champions League on the European stage? That is what Pep Guardiola's task is. I think the Premier League is pretty much sewn up now mm. and a fit and firing Sergio Aguero, something they missed in the Champions League last season because he's been battling this knee meniscus injury. He's had coronavirus. He's had to isolate as well, which is part of the reason why he hasn't scored for so long in the top flight. But if they can get him back and keep him injury-free and getting firing and performing in the big games, particularly in the Champions League. Um, I'm excited to see what he does because it could be his last season at Manchester City and I know he won't want to go out with a whimper. So yeah, Aguero came close, but uh, just about shaded by McNeil for me. It's absolutely crazy when you consider that City have done what they've done this season and shown the dominance they've shown without Sergio Aguero being fit, without a striker for a lot of it. That's absolutely crazy. But there are links, Sergio Aguero to Barcelona in some of the papers this morning. Apparently... Aguero could be off to Barcelona, but only if Lionel Messi stays, which will be an interesting development considering the noises around Lionel Messi leaving. Are they like blood brothers or something? Is there some sort of relationship between the two of them? Uh, Aguero was going out with uh, Maradona's Maradona's daughter, wasn't it? Maradona's daughter, and then, yeah, she's linked to Messi somehow. I don't know. It's it's like faint, but distant type of yes thing. but yeah. we don't yeah. know is the answer <laughs> yeah like the argentine mafia yeah google it right let's leave <laughs> yeah, yeah that should that should be the uh the tagline for our podcast we don't know google it uh right that is it for football social daily today thank you very much for listening we'll be back again tomorrow looking back at tonight's game wolverhampton wanderers versus liverpool wolverhampton wanderers versus liverpool and a load of other stuff besides niall marley thank you very much cheers guys cheers guys We'll see you next time for Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Find us on Instagram at Sports Social Official. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? 
I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.